Before I begin my prepared message, I want to read just out of Galatians chapter 4, uh, starting with verse 19. And this is just a very, very short verse. I've got a couple other verses I'm going to have as part of my message. Um, but this is the one I want to share with you before I begin. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. And Paul writes, My little children, I am going through labor pains again until Christ is formed in you. Read that again. My little children, I am going through labor pains again until Christ is formed in you. And the operative term there is formed, and I'll get to that in a few moments. So I learned something about watermelons this past week, something I never knew, that there is such a thing as square watermelons. Now apparently they're called square watermelons or cube watermelons because they're grown into the shape of a cube or a square. They were invented by a Japanese graphic designer in the late 1970s and they're essentially ornamental and often very expensive. They can go as high as $100 a watermelon. Now the watermelon is able to achieve this shape because it is grown in boxes and they take the shape of the container. In other words, the original shape and true essence of the watermelon is contained within the watermelon seed that have been round or almost egg-shaped. But through the use of the external pressure of the box, the watermelon is shaped and formed into a cube, a $100 cube at that. And in large part, this ornamental cube watermelon also can't be appreciated for its taste since most of these square watermelons have to be picked before they're ripe lest they lose their square shape and also rendering them basically inedible. Now, I need to give credit where credit is due and thank my friend Colin Saxton for introducing me to the world of square watermelons. He referred to them on a Zoom call that I was on with a few other Quaker pastors this past week. And after he mentioned this phenomenon of square watermelons, I just had to look it up. So that gives you the reason I gave all the background information. But it did give me thinking and reflecting on this idea, this, this theme of formation, both outwardly and inwardly. And one of the themes I've been coming back to over and over in the last few months is this awareness of how we are often formed and shaped by external realities, by messages, by forces, by the culture around us, and the influences around us, and often without us even being aware. This has also been one of my growing edges in places of learning through this pandemic as I've been sharing the last few weeks. I've learned that if I do not live intentionally regarding the formation of my inner life and my soul, then the external influences, the messages, the realities, the culture around me and the forces around me will gladly shape who I am and will in return ask for my allegiance of my soul and my life basically. Now the language and narrative of scripture often points to the term formation and it's used to describe the process by which God made and continues to remake humanity. In the very beginning, the chapters of the Bible, we read these words in Genesis, the Lord God formed the human from the topsoil of the fertile land. And then later we read where God formed and fashioned the woman out of Adam's ribs. No mass production, no template, rather we get the sense of this very personal shaping and forming as if God were creating something very beautiful, a masterpiece, a work of art, something designed in a very personal and wonderful way. In the very beginning, God shaped 
and formed humanity into existence. And every day God is shaping and forming us into existence. So in the book of Isaiah, we read at the beginning of chapter 43 these words. But now says the Lord, the one who created you, Jacob, the one who formed you, Israel, don't fear. For I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. Again, God didn't stop forming and shaping at creation. Rather, God continues to form and shape, to create and recreate a people in his own image, a people who are of his own possession. Now, not in a possessive way, but in a very tender, tender, caring way. God continues to form his people so that they will reflect the very nature and mission of God. In the New Testament, the imagery changes just a bit. But in his letter to the Galatians, and this is what I read earlier, the Apostle Paul uses the imagery of pregnancy, labor, and delivery to describe his hope and intentions for the believers in Galatia. And I'll read it again. My little children, I'm going through labor pains until Christ is formed in you. Now Paul describes himself experiencing the pains of childbirth as if he himself is birthing this new church of believers in Galatia. And the pains that he feels within is that of laboring with the believers at Galatia until his language, Christ is formed in them. And the focus is not so much on what Paul is experiencing as much as it is on the reality that Christ is being formed in the Christians at Galatia. As there is this process that Paul describes where a child is formed inwardly within the mother, Paul recognizes that the living Christ is being formed inwardly within the believers at Galatia, and that as Christ is fully formed within them, they will manifest the life and presence of Christ through their lives and actions. Now, I've used this term formation a lot in the last few moments, but this is often what is referred to as spiritual formation. And spiritual formation is, in very simple definition, that process of our lives being conformed to the life of Christ for the sake of others, being shaped and formed and conformed to the life of Christ for the sake of others and for the sake of our world. It's not just something for the serious disciple. It's not just something for the super committed. It's a journey that's intended for everyone since God's connection and relationship with humanity has always been that of forming and shaping, as we saw in the earlier scriptures. God forming and shaping his humanity, forming and shaping his people, forming and shaping us after his own image so that we can reflect the image of God in all that we are and all that we do. Now, the Quaker Douglas Wind um, describes spiritual formation this way. Spiritual formation is the work of becoming more consistently awake to the Spirit in the here and now of our lives. We allow, he writes, divine love and wisdom to occupy our hearts and minds, which does invite us to consider, I think, a very important question. What do you and I allow to occupy our hearts and our minds? Because in a very real sense, that which occupies our hearts and our minds is that which will form and shape us. Now, why is this important? And what's it got to do with you and I and square watermelons? That's a fair question. Well, my sense is that you and I, as I said, are being shaped and formed every day. And often we are unaware of who is seeking to shape and form us or what is forming shaping us. Instead of me being awake to the Spirit, I'm often asleep to the Spirit. I'm distracted by all the external forces and realities that seek to shape and form me. I'm distracted by life. In his book, The Deeply Formed Life, author and pastor uh, Rich Viadas 
writes about this particular experience. And this is what he says. Whether we know it or not, see it or not, or understand it or not, we are always at risk of being shallowly formed. We are formed by our false selves, our families of origin, the highly manipulated presentation of social media, and the value system of a world that determines worth based on accomplishments, possessions, efficiency, intellectual acumen, and gifts. So we need to be regularly called back to the essence of our lives in God. And that essence is one of ongoing transformation. That is, Christ being formed in us. Instead of being deeply formed, he writes, we settle for being shallowly shaped. Now, to revisit our square watermelon image, like the watermelon takes on the shape of the box it is put in, our lives, I think, will often take on the shape of the realities and the forces pressing in on us, often external to us and often very close to us. And as Rich Viadas writes, forces and realities connected with our own false self, our families of origin, the pressure of social media to manipulate and manage our image, and a value system that wants to determine our worth based on what we do, what we own, what we achieve, and how many titles we possess, and our abilities. In her book, The Liturgy of Politics, um, author Caitlin Scheiss writes that we are spiritually formed, she writes, for good or ill, by any number of things, but, by, but, but particularly by those that are repetitive, embodied, and impact a larger meaning. Now, for example, spending time on social media is repetitive, and it's an embodied act. And we do it almost every day. We use our hands, and we use our eyes, and we use our brains to process and live out what we consume. And for many folks, it provides their life a larger meaning. So in the process, our social media intake ends up spiritually forming us. And we may end up basing our value on how many likes we receive, or we simply look for content to reinforce our own opinions and positions. Now, on the opposite, maybe another person takes time each day to read a devotional book. It's repetitive because they do it each day. It's embodied because they also use their eyes and hands and brains to process and live out what they take in. And it also provides their life a larger meaning. And this also ends up spiritually forming them, but probably in a different way. Not one person is better than the other in those two examples. It's just that two different people have chosen two different means to form and shape them or intentionally choose two different means to form and shape them. The nature of something or someone forming us literally involves us repeatedly interacting with it than to embody it as truth for our lives so that we live it out in some way and experiencing it as something that gives our lives meaning and purpose. And when this happens, it has our allegiance and our loyalty. Anything that gives our life meaning and purpose will often get our allegiance and loyalty. And this is the nature and the power of formation and spiritual formation. In fact, everything in life can be considered spiritual formation since it has to do with the health and formation of our souls. So the questions then become, am I aware of what is shaping and forming me? Is that which is shaping and forming me healthy for my soul, and is it helping me to live well? And more specifically, is it forming and shaping me to ultimately love God and love my neighbor? Or, as we read in Micah 6.8, is it forming me to love mercy, do justice, and walk humbly with God? Is it moving me in the direction of being conformed to the life and way of Jesus? 
I think the essence of who we are is that we are loved by God. And the essence of who we are is that we are created in the image of God. And the essence of who we are is that we are invited to flourish in this reality and to live well so we can, in turn, help our world to flourish and to live well. Now, since we're talking about watermelons and stuff that grows from seeds, I think it's helpful to note that the term seed was a very important term for early Quakers. George Fox, uh, the founder of the Quaker movement in the uh, 1600s, would often write about the seed of God and how this seed needed to be raised up within us. And George Fox understood that this seed was the living Christ or the divine life within all of us. So then I would say this, spiritual formation then has to do with nurturing this divine life within all of us and allowing the life of Christ to take root within us and grow so that our lives begin to take on the nature of Jesus and our actions begin to look like what Jesus would do. Even Jesus said to his followers, you will know them by their fruit. In other words, our lives are created to bear good and healthy fruit that ends up being a nourishing presence for our world. And in fact, the Apostle Paul gives us a snapshot of what a fruitful and flourishing life looks like when he writes in his letter to the Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I think it's important to recognize that these are all relational characteristics. In other words, spiritual formation has a direct effect on our relationships with one another so that if our lives are being formed by Christ, we will show up in our relationships by offering love and joy. We'll be peacemakers and we'll be patient with one another and offer kindness and goodness. We will be faithful to one another, faithful to one another as well as gentle and when we do get out of sorts with one another, we'll practice self-control because we love that person. And all of this is the fruit of spiritual formation and being formed by the Spirit. Now the opposite of this is to be like a square watermelon, to be formed and shaped by external realities that surround our life rather than being formed by the divine life within. And often these other realities shape and form us according to their own agenda. And often these realities restrict who we are destined to become. And they can restrict our fruitfulness and our flourishing. And they can restrict the growth of the Spirit moving within us. Now, this probably may still sound too general and vague, so let me try to put some real life around it. And I can only speak of my experience. So, this is what it would look like for me. And I would invite you to maybe reflect on what it would look like for you. There have been times when I am aware that out of fear, I am more apt to be shaped and formed by people's expectations and their approval of me than by the divine life within me. There are times when I have allowed a particular political agenda to become that which shapes and forms me rather than allowing the kingdom of God to shape me and allow my life to be an extension of God's kingdom. There have been times when I have sought external notoriety, achievement, and even accolades simply to validate my self-worth and value rather than being formed and shaped by God's love and the truth of how God values me. There have been times when I've allowed my own pain and woundedness to shape and form me, as well as the hurt that I feel has been inflicted on me rather than being shaped and formed by the healing presence of God's love, mercy, and grace which seeks to make me whole. And there have been times when I've allowed my own emotional dysfunction as well as my prejudices to form and shape me rather than the goodness and wholeness and mercy of God. 
And there have been times when I have allowed what I own and what I consume to be the measure of my value rather than simply God's love and care for me. And all of these have tended to restrict my development and my growth and wholeness and to keep me boxed in like a square watermelon, or in other words, to shape me according to the culture around me rather than shape and form me according to the divine life within me. And this is the bottom line. A watermelon was not designed to be square and ornamental and inedible. A watermelon was designed and created to be round, oval, and juicy, and edible, and refreshing with watermelon juice running down your face and arms. We were not created and designed to be shallowly formed and empty and devoid and just ornamental believers. Rather, we have been created to live fruitfully and to live flourishing lives, to be formed and shaped into the person that God has created us to be. As Paul wrote to the Ephesians, we are God's accomplishment, created in Christ Jesus to do good things. God planned, Paul writes, for, the, for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. So we're invited into a journey of transformation that forms and shapes us into a new way of being that reflects the being of God. And this is not about adding an extra burden to our lives as if we now have to worry about how well we're doing in spiritual formation. That's not how it works. Rather, spiritual formation liberates us and it frees us up to become who God has created us to be. So we can, in turn, help our world become what God intends for it to become. But it does involve a choice, and it does involve a decision. Again, as Rich Viadas writes, the deeply formed life is not possible without an intentional reordering of our lives. In other words, what I choose to focus on, how I spend my time, how I treat others, what I allow to shape me, and how I choose to direct my best energies will determine what what ultimately forms and shapes my life. And the first step towards living a well-formed life is to live a life of intention, to be intentional about who we are seeking to become and what we will allow to form and shape us. The divine life is within us. The divine life is within you and I. It's within all of us. And God intends to shape and form us after God's own image. An image that flourishes, an image that extends itself in love and mutuality, an image that, that lives fruitfully, an image that experiences joy and meaning and purpose. God intends to shape us in that way. And the choice is always whether I will allow that to shape me and, that will, and you allow that to shape you, or we will just simply allow the forces around us to shape us instead and form us in a different way.